0: Hear the word of the Lord. James, a servant of God and the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their business. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we begin a uh, new series, a new sermon series, through the book of James. Um, it, is our, it is our most typical um, practice to, uh, to study through books of the Bible. I don't know if most typical is the correct way of saying it, but I have a general conviction that you should say things clunky so you can explain it later, so, um, and I'll explain that on another time. Thank you, Okay. you. Uh, um, but uh, what we typically do is we start at the beginning of a book, and, and then we pass through it, and, and whatever it is that the book says and indicates is, is what we'll study, um, kind of whether the preacher likes it or not. And so uh, with that being said, I, I like James a lot, and so um, we'll, we'll study it today. We'll look at verses... Uh, one through twelve, and consider the nature of deep faith. Um, if you if you travel out um, 64, you go west. You go past um, Corden, and you go past Crawford County, and uh, you uh, can eventually end up near Potoka Lake. And I was doing um, some work for a client near there, and uh, I was thinking. I started to say that uh, that I finished my work, and so I took a detour. My work wasn't finished. I just took a detour because I wanted to, to be honest. And uh, um, what I did was I was near there and there was a, uh, a trail that I wanted to hike. And so I took a turn off the highway and went down a gravel road and went uh, into the, the backwoods of the, the Hoosier National Forest and eventually got um, to a place that's known as the, um, the Hemlock Cliffs. Some of you might be familiar with it. What are they? Well, there's these there are these giant cliffs, or about 100-foot cliffs um, that um, make up part of what's called a box canyon. And so I, I went there, and I wanted to get a little bit of um, solitude and just get some time to myself for a variety of reasons. So I went um, hiking the trail, and I eventually came, eventually came to this section. There was a wooden fence, and there was a sign. It was a black sign. It was red and white letters, and it said, CAUTION, DANGER cliffs, which I'm generally nervous about most things. So he definitely got my attention. I was already cautious, generally cautious as it is, let alone to be told to be cautious. I need to be extra cautious, you see. So uh, anyway, I, I uh, uh, hesitantly approached um, the fence and, uh, and by extension the cliffs. And I got right up to it uh, and I looked uh, over the cliffs. And, and the, the sight was stunning. It was really beautiful. Um, you know, it's it's springtime in Indiana, and so um, we're fortunate um, things turn green here. We're not necessarily fortunate of all the pollen that takes place and, it, and gets all over things, but we are fortunate that things start turning green and, and flowers start blooming, and so some of the flowers were blooming and some of the, the leaves were turning green, And but also it it's springtime in Indiana, so things are raining like crazy, and so... You know, there were, there were a collection of waterfalls that were taking place, and it was all kind of running off in the canyon, and it, it was late morning, and so the, the birds were, were singing their, their morning songs. And it was really just kind of a stunning moment um, as I kind of took it in enjoying the, the scenery and everything. And um, I've grown up and I've lived in southern Indiana all my life, and so I'm very familiar with the, the ridges and the ravines, as they say in the city, it's the hills and the hollers where I'm from, and in case any of, you, uh, any of you use that language. Probably not, right? You say ridge or ravine. But anyway, the ups and the downs of the countryside I'm familiar with. But I'm not familiar with box canyons. My daughter and I went east. So there's, there's a canyon that's west. My daughter and I went east to Cliffy Falls State Park over in Madison. And kind of in the middle of this hill, there is another. There's this canyon, and it's... it's the cliffs are big and they're massive. And after it rains, there's all these waterfalls and it's really a, a stunning and a beautiful sight. And in the moments, I try not to ask myself, like, how did this get here? I mean, some of it is I'm hiking, I'm and out of breath. And so I just can't really say anything. So I just avoid talking, right? I'm just trying to suck in wind. And, and the other part of it is that sometimes I just try to take in the moment. Like, how does, how does that get there? Like, how do a 100 foot or 200 foot like these deep canyons get into into the side of hills well essentially it's the result of of the ongoing beat down that rocks take from water and the weather it, basically water hits the rocks over a long period of time and it and and the water and the weather inflict suffering on the rocks and so over the course of time there's rain and it and it and the water runs over the rocks and then, and then the weather changes and the, and the water that's down in the, the cracks, they freeze and they expand the rocks. And then when it melts, it breaks away and it chips away at the rocks. And over the course of time of all the storms and the back and the forth and the changing of the weather, it creates something that is deep and beautiful. And it seems to me that that's true in nature it's also true with regards to our Christian life. Have you ever met somebody that you really respect and admire in the Christian life? I don't know for sure, but I know for sure that that person has weathered a lot of storms. That there's something deep and that's beautiful about faith is the result of suffering. That's the main point of the message. That's the... The point of the book of James, and specifically in the verses that are before us, in James chapter 1, that anything that is deep and beautiful, a Christian's faith that is deep and beautiful, is the result of ongoing suffering. And that's my prayer today, is that you'll hear God saying to you that the purpose of your sufferings is to produce a deep and beautiful faith in Christ you might be asking, now, how is it possible that our sufferings produce a deep and a beautiful faith in Christ? Well, I believe there's three ways that our sufferings produce a deep and beautiful faith in Christ. First is by producing perseverance in us. First is by producing perseverance in us. Second is by moving us towards wisdom. Second is by moving us towards wisdom. And then third By preparing us for the future. There are three points in the sermon today. Um, And so, first, by producing in us perseverance. Now, who is James? James is the younger brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you recall, when Meg wrote, uh, read the, she didn't write the scriptures, she read them. <laughs> her, her, her voice is very powerful. It is not able to invoke the word of God, though. But, um, <laughs> uh, if you recall, whenever the scripture was read, it said James introduced himself as, he didn't name drop. He didn't say, I'm James from Nazareth. He didn't say, I'm James, you know, the younger brother of this man named Jesus. He didn't take credit for who he was biologically. No, he spoke about himself in his ultimate identity, that he's a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. He places himself where he belongs, and that is under the Lordship of Christ. He is the He's one of the half-brothers of Jesus. The Gospels indicate that Jesus has four brothers and he has at least two sisters. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 13. After our Lord Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, Joseph and and Mary had children. And so they have, and Jesus comes from, from a rather large family, and so they have at least four boys and at least two girls. James was not a believer in his in the Lord Jesus Christ whenever Jesus was, was alive. It wasn't until after his resurrection that he becomes a Christian, essentially. Um, and we, we know this from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is amazing to me that, that even somebody who grew up with Jesus and lived with him and witnessed um, his life, he was skeptical of him. And and if you are a Christian and there are people in your family that do not believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, no one that your, that your Savior knows that experience. He knows it well. He experienced it himself. His own family didn't believe in him. And yet at the same time, not only does he know your suffering, um, there's a degree of hope there. James eventually come to believe. James eventually had a faith that was real. But it took time. It happened after the resurrection. And so James is, he grows up in the faith and he becomes a significant figure in the New Testament and he writes this book. James is, it's a scrappy book. I mean, James will punch you right in the mouth. It doesn't take him long. He's, he's very kind of snappy. Like I said, he's a guy, he's scrappy. You don't want to get in a tussle with him. I'm saying that to church people, and church people don't get into fights. But uh, those of you who have a testimony understand what I'm saying. So <laughs> I just kind of realized that. I was like, I'm assuming they know what a scrap is. Well, anyway. <laughs> Uh, okay, I got to get back on track. This is, this is going sideways. Um, and, and so anyway, James is concerned. He's concerned in his book about maturity. He's concerned about a deep Christian faith, a maturity that is marked by joy and humility and some sort of substance. And the question is, is how does a mature faith come about? Uh, how do you develop a mature Christian faith? Is it through Bible reading? Is it through scripture memorization? Is it through participating in missions? Is it through volunteering? Is it through being involved in helping the poor? Well, how do you develop a mature Christian faith? All of those things are good and they may have their place, but according to James, a mature Christian faith happens as the result of heartbreak, as the result of pain, as the result of suffering. Look here with me at what James says in James chapter 1, verses 2-4. through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there you see that he's concerned about maturity. He wants you to be mature and complete, to be a whole person, and not to lack anything. And did you see, did you see how that comes about? Well, James gives two commands. He starts things out with a command. Those of you that that you like practicality, James is a very practical book. And what he, he does is he opens things up in verse two by giving a command. And the command is, consider it pure joy. When I was first a Christian, I mean, I became a Christian partly as the result of, exper- of experiences of suffering. And then when I come to read James, I'm like, you know, I, I, I wanted to get good with this Jesus guy so I could avoid suffering, and this guy is telling me to be happy about it. Well, is that what the command is? Well, I was speaking with Pastor Jeremy Quillo a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how much he likes this passage. And he said, the command is to consider... The command is not necessarily be happy about your sufferings. Consider it pure joy. That consider involves a mental process. It involves taking into account. It it involves reflection. James is a book of wisdom, and wisdom is the result of pain, experience, time, and reflection. If you have suffering and you reflect upon it, you will gain wisdom. And James says, consider. Now, it does say consider it joy, and you might be saying to me, well, isn't joy an emotion, right? Joy is about being excited, right? Being excited about being excited, okay? And everything's just excitable, right? Because that's what joy is. Joy in the scriptures is something more than just kind of the passing moments of excitement that may or may not characterize our life. Joy is a deep confidence in the goodness of God and that I belong to him and he belongs to me and no matter what, that's what's true about me and I'm happy about it. It says in the scriptures, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Strength is something that you keep. It's something that, that, that you possess. It's not something that kind of comes and goes. And he says, consider it pure joy, Why? Well, verse 3 says you consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith is producing something. It's producing what? It's producing perseverance. Some of your versions might say endurance. Now, what is that? The best way to describe perseverance is that perseverance is essentially having thick skin, a soft heart, and, and a steady walk, steady feet. Thick skin, soft heart, and a steady feet. It ina- the, you have thick skin, meaning that you're not puffed up in prosperity or cast down in adversity. There's, there's some sort of substance. You, life doesn't get to you. The victories or the defeats don't get to you in such a way that, it's, that it derails your faith. Victories can derail faith as much as much as suffering can derail faith. You can, be, you can be puffed up. You can be proud after a good time or, or a season of blessing. But at the same time, you can be cast down because of just the ongoing onslaught and difficulties of life. So perseverance, you have some sort of thickness to your skin, but, but it's not just like stoic and you're just like, I'm completely unaffected by life. I'm the equivalent of a telephone pole. You know, I, Sometimes I reflect on telephone poles and it's like, no matter the season, they're Tall and brown, you know, um, which is probably, I need to have something else to do in life. <laughs> just now, as I'm thinking about that, it's like it's kind of a pointless reflection. But anyway, don't tell me that. I already figured it out. So, um, <laughs> but you know, you're, it's just there. Telephone poles are just there. Is that what is that what perseverance is? You're just there, unaffected. No, there's a soft heart. You're able to rejoice with those who rejoice, you're able to weep with those who weep. If you're a Hateful conservative, you're essentially a bleeding heart, right? Only hateful conservatives say such things, right? (laughs) Nobody said anything. They're like, I'm a conservative and I'm not hateful, you know? So this is that Hills and Hollers speech, you know? Nobody says hateful. Anyway, sorry. I should have seen my therapist before. I got a lot on my chest, but... You, you have a soft heart. You're concerned about people. You're able to identify with their suffering. You're open to the Lord and open to other people. You have a soft heart. And you have steady feet. Like you might be a train wreck and you still have to show up to work on time, right? It's like you, you can only get away with saying, well, I'm such a mess. You know, I, you know, I can't show up to work. It's like, no, man, you know, God loves you and you have to clock in on time. You know, that's, uh, there's a good Christian employer. That's their message, right? You have steady feet, meaning you're able to move forward in life regardless of what the circumstances are. There's this movement, there's this progression. And that is what James says. James says you can consider yourself joyous, you can be happy. Why? Because you know that that suffering has a purpose to it. And so so how how do we accomplish that process? Like, like, how do we accomplish the process of developing perseverance? Is it that we memorize a Bible verse? Is it that we attend community groups? Is that we come and, and hear sermons on Sunday? Well, James 4, James 1 verse 4 says, let it happen. Let perseverance have its work. Have you ever planted a garden? My parents were excellent gardeners, um, gardeners in whom there is no guile, um, in that my, my, the economy of the home when I was growing up was my dad, would, my dad would till the garden, and he would always make it a point that it was with, the, with this red Troy belt that only had one spark plug all of its life, which I never understood why he always added that to it. My assumption was that he just didn't want to buy another start, spark plug, basically. You know, it was like, he was cheap, and he was just thankful it was one less thing he had to pay for. But I think it was just because of the durability of the machine. And so my dad would come through, and he would till. He would uh, till up the ground. He would like, inflict suffering on the ground. And then my mother would come along, and she'd plant the seeds and plant the plants. And then a garden was produced. And so I had my parents come over, because they're better gardeners than I, and <laughs> there's such an arrogance with youth. I remember my dad coming over and warning me about the red Troy belt with only one spark plug all of its life. And he said, son, you better be careful. It's, you know, it's a pretty stout piece of machinery. And I was like, get out of the way, old man. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to manhandle this thing. Well, my man got handled by the thing, just just to be transparent. <laughs> and uh, eventually we got the rose made. Uh, and... Uh, and then we, then we planted the plants and then we watered it and then we just let it do its work. What else is there to do, right? You got to let the water and the, and the plants and the sun and everything take its course. And it seems to me that's what James is saying about suffering. Like James is saying about suffering that you, you have to get to a place to where you just let the suffering do its work and it will do its work. The reality is, Christian, is that we, we, want, we serve a God who is. He exists. He's powerful. And he's actually in control of everything. He's in control of what you suffer, how much you suffer, for how long you suffer. And guess what? He has a purpose. He actually has a purpose in this life to do something in the suffering. And what is that? It is to produce perseverance. You have thick skin, soft heart and a steady walk. So what do we do? How do we apply this to our life? Well, there's two commands here. First is to consider. So the, the first command is to consider. Consider what it is that God may be doing in your life. That, that involves a mental process. And so for some of you, maybe it means that you get alone to yourself and say, God, show me. Show me what it is that you're doing in this. And if you ask that question and you consider and you don't know, that's okay. That's a biblical answer. The book of Job teaches us that we don't know why Job suffered. I mean, the only reason why we know that Job suffered is because God brought up his name to the devil. And then Job says, I want an answer. And God says, okay, I'll give you an answer after you answer all my questions. And you end the book with not knowing why Job suffered. But consider, consider what it is that God is doing. And if your answer is, I don't know, that's fine. The second command is let. Let. Let God do his work. You know, for some of you, you're, you may be able to see, maybe it's suffering that you experienced five weeks ago, five months ago, five years ago, 50 years ago, that now you can see, I can see how God shaped me and molded me in such a way that he, he, was, he was chipping away th- that arrogance. He was chipping away that fear. He was chipping these things away to shape me in such a way that now my faith is, it's not that you didn't have faith in the beginning, but now that faith is deeper consider. Maybe for some of you, it's talking to another Christian and say, hey, will you help me consider? How am I different over the last 10 years? Am I any different? Because it just seems like I keep on dealing with the same thing over and over. James says it's various trials, that suffering as well as it's sin. It's all kinds of different things. It's it's what I refer to as a, it's the real theological way of putting it. It's a junk drawer term, meaning you ever had a junk drawer in your You probably haven't. You guys are all organized, right? You ever had a junk drawer where it's just like everything's in there, right? You've got batteries and forks and shoes from three years ago or something. Just everything in there. Well, it's various trials. It's just a big junk pile. And it encapsulates all kinds of things. How are you different? How is God developing perseverance in you? Consider. And if you don't know, that's okay. Second command is let. Let God do his work. We don't control everything. And and if if you falsely believe that you can control everything in the Christian life, there is suffering that's coming into your life that will teach you very clearly you can't control everything. God is developing a deep and beautiful faith in Christ in our hearts through our suffering by producing in us perseverance. Second, he's also doing this by moving us towards wisdom. So as James continues, he gives another command. Look here with me in James 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded and unstable in all they do. James understands. James is a realist and a good pastor. I mean, it is possible to be a realist and not a good pastor. It's possible to be a good pastor and not really a realist, but James is both. He understands that suffering does something. Suffering, when it comes into your life, reveals limitations. It it reveals what you're able to do, but also not able to do. And in suffering, sometimes you're not able to see what it is that you should or should not do. So what do you need? Well, you need wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is that ability to look at the natural order of life and to make a decision whenever I was growing up, my dad handed me a board and I was helping him and he said, you need, I want you to sand this wood. And so I had sandpaper and wood and he said, I want you to go along the grain. So I'm here, I'm looking at the pulpit and it's it's wood. And so wood has certain lines and he says, you go along with the lines, you don't go against the lines. Why? Well, because whenever I put the stain on later, it's gonna bring out the natural beauty and if you go against the grain, you're going to show that you've done violence to the wood itself. And God is an orderly God and there's an order to the world and wisdom is that ability to be able to see it, okay? So God has ordered the world. You go to work. If you go to work, you're able to earn money. You're able to provide for your needs. There's a certain order to it. And wisdom says it's just best that you follow the order. Go along the grain. But sometimes in suffering, it's not orderly. The Christians in James' time was dealing with persecution. They were being dragged out of the synagogues and beaten and stoned to death. Now, what do you do in those situations? Do you stay or do you go? Well, let's, uh, the somebody theological, good Bible guy says, well, let's look at our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? Sometimes he stayed and he endured the persecutions, and other times they picked up stones and he. You ran away. So what do you do in your specific instance? Suffering is going to invoke this statement. I don't know. So what do you need? You need wisdom. You need to pray and ask God, show me, give me wisdom. Now, how do you pray? Well, you pray with a single heart. (laughs) James, again, he... James he'd just punch you in the mouth, okay? Not you all, you're Christians, but you know, somebody who's backslidden like me or something, and he'd punch you in the mouth. He says, you, you do it without doubt. And so we're like, ah, what does he mean by that? Well, let's start with what he doesn't mean. There's a man who comes to Jesus Christ and he asks for healing and Jesus tells him to believe. And he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus doesn't go, oh my goodness, you've got unbelief? Are you serious? You've got doubts in your life? That's not what he does. You know what he does? The man acknowledges his unbelief and Jesus Jesus helps him. It's not that God, and so doubt here isn't going to contradict that. What's he talking about? Well, James uses the same word in James chapter four, verse four. Jesus uses the same word when he says, sometimes it's translated to serve. Sometimes it's translated to judge. Sometimes it's translated to decide or to discern. Jesus uses it in this statement. You cannot serve, it's the same word, you cannot serve both God and money. You will do what? You will love the one and hate the other. It's, it's generally used everywhere other than here as a, as a word about allegiance. So you have to decide, are, you cannot be both greedy and generous. It's not possible. You have to decide which side that you're on. It's one of allegiance. You cannot serve both God and money. You've got to take a side. It, think of Think of allegiances with marriage. You you could have a wife and a mistress, but what's going to happen? You've got to, I mean, you're going to need to choose an allegiance. Why? If not, your life's going to be unstable. It's going to be just just waves going back and forth. And you're going to have all kinds of turmoil in your life if you say to yourself, well, I need to hold on to my wife and my mistress. You're going to invoke turmoil in your life. You have to have an allegiance. So what James is saying is he says you're, you're, asking, with a, you're asking out of a single heart. You're, you're asking with regards to being aligned to God and know that the God you serve, did you see his character? God is generous and he's good and he's gracious. And what will he do? He will give to you. James is essentially saying that we as Christians, we need to acknowledge our own limitations. Will we in our suffering and our trials, will we continue to trust ourselves or are we going to trust in God? Like, what are we going to do in our trials? Let's say that you're smart. What are you going to do if you can't think your way out of a trial? Are you going to continue to align yourself with your own abilities to rationalize? You might get a trial that's going to make you say, I don't know. Well, maybe you've got a lot of social skills and so you're able to build relationships with people in such a way that you can get out of situations because people like you. What are you going to do if they don't like you? Maybe, you, maybe you're, you're strong and you have a really good work ethic and you're just able to grind it out and work your way out of a situation. Okay, great, wonderful. Those are all good and fine. What are you going to do if you can't work your way out? Then where are you going to turn? And that's the purpose of suffering. To enable you to turn towards a God who says, hey, I'm here. I'm willing to help you. Notice there that James says, Christians, we can embrace our God that he says, he says he gives to all generously. and He doesn't find fault. Even whenever you come to him and you've, and you've messed things up for 10 years, God doesn't say to you, and you finally say, God, give me wisdom. Help me in this situation. He doesn't say, well, let's be clear about how bad you've been for the last 10 years. I want you to admit that. I want to I go over how much it is that you hurt me. That's not the God we serve. He invites us and he says what? Come to me. He commands us to pray and to, and to experience his generosity. Prayer is an example, not of overcoming the resistant God. Prayer is an example of embracing a generous God. So how do we apply it to our lives? Well, the command is clear. Let's be a people who pray for wisdom. Like make it your prayer, four words, God give me wisdom. Is that enough? I guess. Shorten it. Let us be a church that's willing to say when we don't know what to do, God, I don't know what to do, please give me wisdom. And let's not worry about what we were trusting in all the way up to that point. God's not concerned about it. He is a generous God who doesn't find fault. So let us be a people when we're in pain, When we're brokenhearted, say, God, please give me wisdom. He's moving us towards wisdom. For some of us, we need to apply this. We need to ask ourselves, I want to ask you, like, what keeps you from praying to God? Like, what keeps you from praying to God? You think you need to measure up? You think you need to have, I found this in my own life. It's like, well, you know, I need to have kind of a couple of good days and then I'll pray on the third day. You know, theologize it. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, three days and then the resurrection or something. Three good days and then I'll pray or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that sounds theological. Blasphemous, too. No. Say to God, give me wisdom. What keeps you from praying? The reality is, Christians, God is looking to produce a deep and a beautiful faith in you, and he wants to move you towards wisdom. So how do you get wisdom? Well, according to James, you ask for it. And then third, by preparing us for the future. So James will, will continue on, and, and, and he starts moving towards, he starts addressing specific people in, in his church. And he, he starts addressing rich and poor. In the wisdom literature, and James is one of them, you'll find it in the book of Proverbs, it's the easiest place. You, you have discussions about the rich and poor, different economic classes. The wisdom books are very realistic, and they embrace certain realities. And one of the realities is, is not everybody makes the same amount of money. And the other thing of it is, is James, is, he's a pastor, and he's got rich and poor people in his church. And what James, here's what James does not do. James does not say, well, we shouldn't have any rich people. And he he doesn't say, well, we shouldn't have any poor people. He acknowledges that both are present. And actually he pastors them uniquely. Not not every believer needs the same thing all the time. And, And sometimes we're at different stations in life, economically or maybe our age or whatever it is, and so we we need to apply things differently. And so James says he says to those who are poor he says I want you to he says you he says you ought to take pride in your humiliation because because of because of a future exaltation even a present exaltation now it's like what does that mean? Well what James is saying is he was saying to the to the proud to the to the poor person You don't need to worry about what is or is not in your bank account. Like, what is or is not in your bank account is not what's ultimately true about you. What's ultimately true about you is that your life is is seated with Christ on high. Like, that your life is is protected by a Christ who is exalted in the heavens and a Christ who will come from the heavens and who will exalt you one day. Your, Your present financial difficulties are not what's ultimately true about you. It may be what you're experiencing, and we won't, don't want to deny that, but he's saying, hey, let's think about the future here, not just about the present. And that's one of the things that's tricky about suffering is suffering can hurt so bad, you can't think about anything else other than the right here, the right now. And James is saying, hey, there's future relief here. And then he says to the rich, he says... Well, you exalt in your humiliation. Your riches are are kind of like plants in the middle of the summer. Now, what is that talking about? So, said, well, I grew up in the country. It took us like four, four and a half hours to mow our grass. First time I met and had a significant conversation with a Christian from the city, he told me that he put fertilizer on his grass. And I, it was one of those, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. I kind of cocked my head and I'm like, if you put fertilizer on grass and makes it grow, why would you want to do that? You know, like when it takes you four and a half hours, you know what you long for? You long for July and August and a drought, you know what I mean? (laughs) Where the grass won't grow, right? Because, you know what I mean, you don't have to deal with it anymore, and so what happens, there's this, like, inherent desire for the future to come when all things will be burned up, you know, <laughs> you know something like that. <laughs> I'm getting a little cynical on this one. <laughs> um, and what, it, so anyway, uh, something that James is saying is actually edifying, I'm getting, getting beside myself, but... Uh, what's james saying james is saying well, well what are you placing your hope in like i was placing my hope in in july and august you know what i mean it's like if there rain came in july it was like oh no we've got we got to keep on mowing you know something like that and it's like well, no you 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 place your hope in the future but but you know what you don't let the you don't let this present reality whether there's rain or not rain you, you don't let that ultimately be your identity you, you don't you You're wise in that you you save up money, but you don't make the money or the lack thereof your ultimate identity, whether you have it or you don't. And so for the rich, Jesus will make this statement. He says what? He says, store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, not on earth. Why? Well, because moths and rust can get it. Do you know how long it takes to save three to six months of an emergency savings? Those of you who follow Dave Ramsey, it takes a little while to build up three to six months of emergency savings. It doesn't take very long to spend it, okay? Unfortunately, I know what that's like. <laughs> and what, what happens? When you go through that, what does it do? Well, it's supposed to teach you that, yes, out of wisdom, I have that. But you know what? I don't bank on that. Because it it doesn't take too much. It doesn't take too many challenges to go from very wealthy to very broke. So is that what I'm going to put my hope in? And James is saying, yeah, don't do that. Don't put your hope in that. It's going to go away. And then he finishes off by saying this. In James 1 verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under their trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He opens it up by saying blessed. It's a word that's used a lot among Christians. What does it mean? Same thing as what he said earlier in verse 3. It's a word for joy. It's a word for happiness. And here he says blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial." What's the trial? Well, it's, it's this life. The trial are the experiences that we have in this life. Like, personally, I've been dealing with a lot of discouragement. And one of the things that I've been saying to myself is, you know, this life's just harder than it needs to be. You know, everything about it's harder than it has to be. And the reality is, is that this life's so hard, it's going to kill us, you know? I mean, none of us are going to get out of this world alive. And some of us, through the course of time and age, have come to experience more of that. And James says, but there's a joy. And this isn't a joy in the present. James 1 verse 3 is the joy in the present, that you know God's doing something in your life right now. No, this is a joy that's a future joy. It's a joy for the person who perseveres. Did you see that they will receive the crown of life? That's victory language. It teaches in the scriptures that Jesus Christ will, he will raise us from the dead one day. It it teaches us in the scriptures that, that after a believer dies, they are present with the Lord. That there is a judgment, but upon judgment we go to be with Christ. That that this earthly tent will eventually give way to my my eternal home. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And, And what's amazing to me is that the one who perseveres, the one who has a faith that perseveres, they will be rewarded with the crown of life. And so we may not get out of this world alive, but for the Christian and the person who is trusting in Jesus, when they get out of this world, there will be life. There will be a celebration of their persevering faith as, as frail as it is, as small as it is at times, as mistaken-filled as it is, because it's a faith that is deep and beautiful and belongs to Jesus they will be rewarded one day. Oh, what a Savior. I know that's true from the Word, and I know it's true in the Lord's Supper. Because you see, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he says, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he says, this cup, It's the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Christians, I invite you to come forward after I get done praying and the musicians begin playing. There'll be stations throughout the auditorium. Our tradition here is to come off, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice of the wine, whatever your conscience permits, and the wine will be marked by a piece of twine. And there will be gluten-free elements to my left and to your right, if that will serve you. And if you are a Christian, um, please come partake of communion with us. But if you're not a Christian, I would ask for you to respect our tradition. Please don't take this, But, but please take Christ. He's a Savior who died so that you could have faith in Him. Please believe in Him. Let's pray together.